With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 275. It's titled, Are You Over-Diversified? I recently received an email from a listener who wrote, First, I want to say that I have been listening to your podcast for about six or seven months now. I'd like to thank you for providing a large breadth of knowledge on topics that I find useful. Your podcast is one of the few that I share frequently with friends and family. Thank you. Anyway, my questions are, First, should I consider using a financial advisor at the cost of 1.5% of funds under management? I feel as if I've done fine managing my and my wife's retirement money so far. Together, we have saved $540,000 at the age of 40. Our retirement money is invested in low-cost, passively managed Vanguard funds, approximately 50% in the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund, 25% 25% in the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index Fund, 15% in the Vanguard Total International Stock Fund, and 10% in the Vanguard Real Estate Index Fund. After speaking with the advisor whose firm does its own research and invests their customers in specific holdings held at a third-party brokerage, he analyzed my current portfolio and mentioned that I'm over-diversified. 10,963 stock holdings, among other selling points. Second, alternatively, is it worth considering switching to actively managed funds at a slightly higher cost, where I'd feel like I'm maintaining a little more control, but I could avoid this stated over-diversification? The portfolio below is what I'm considering and mimics what I was already looking to phasing into as the market eventually corrects, awaiting 5%, 10% declines using Vanguard index funds. Portfolio is considering is 50% T. Rowe Price Small Cap Values Fund, 25% Dodge and Cox Large Value, and the Vanguard Wellington Fund. He concludes, I'm just looking for an outside opinion from someone who doesn't have anything to gain from the choice. Now, we'll analyze this listener's current portfolio versus the proposed portfolio in a bit. But let's first explore this idea of over-diversification. Is this a bad thing? Is it possible to be overly diversified or too diversified or what's sometimes called diversification? In the 1996 Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, Mark Hake from Scottsdale, Arizona, asked Warren Buffett about diversification. Hake had noted that the number of public equity holdings in Berkshire's portfolio varied from year to year. Hake said, I am very interested in your policies on diversification and how you concentrate your investments. Here's what Buffett replied. You know, we think diversification is, as practiced generally, makes very little sense for anyone that knows what they're doing. Diversification is a protection against ignorance. I mean, 
If you want to make sure that nothing bad happens to you relative to the market, you own everything. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that is a perfectly sound approach for somebody who does not feel they know how to analyze businesses. If you know how to analyze businesses and value businesses, it's crazy to own 50 stocks or 40 stocks or 30 stocks, probably, because there aren't that many wonderful businesses that are understandable to a single human being in all likelihood. He's saying diversification is protection against ignorance. Ignorance being a lack of knowledge, not knowing what is going to happen. He's also saying, if you want to make sure nothing bad happens to you, then you own the market. And bad, in this case, would be underperforming the market. Is diversification a bad thing and a sign that we're ignorant? Those comments by Warren Buffett about diversification are what he said at the annual meeting. And he was really targeting money managers who are trying to find what they classify as super wonderful businesses. They suggest there's just not that many of them. And so then when you start adding more and more holdings, they feel that that's madness. But here's what he said in the actual annual letter geared toward us as individuals. Buffett writes, let me add a few thoughts about your own investments. Most investors, both institutional and individual, will find that the best way to own common stocks is through an index fund that charges minimal fees. Those following this path are sure to beat the net results after fees and expenses delivered by the great majority of investment professionals. This listener is asking, should he pay 1.5% per year for an investment advisor to select individual stocks? Absolutely not. The likelihood of that advisor outperforming their existing portfolio of Vanguard index funds is very, very small. Morningstar, twice a year, does an active passive barometer. And they write that the central question they're trying to answer is, if an investor were to select an actively managed fund at random from a category, what are the odds that fund will survive and outperform its passive peers at any given time period? We have a choice. We can hire an active manager, in the case of this particular advisor, a separately managed account, or potentially a mutual fund, or we can invest in an index fund or ETF. Morningstar compares the two strategies by category and shows what the performance has been for active funds versus passive. And what they show is it's dismal, the performance. I'll just focus on the 15-year category. U.S. large company funds, only 15% were successful in outperforming the index. Mid-cap, a little better, about 27%. Small cap, roughly 25%. Foreign large blend, 31% over the past 15 years. World large stocks, or global, 29%. U.S. real estate, 33%. Intermediate core bond, 17%. Now, this is over longer periods, 15 years. 10-year periods are just as bad. 
So if you're randomly selecting, let's say mid or small or foreign, two-thirds underperform the benchmark. One-third doesn't. Do you have the skill to identify who those managers are? I used to do that professionally. Select outperforming managers, my team and I. Very, very difficult to do. Often, we were unsuccessful. Or maybe they had the qualities we were seeking, but even outperforming managers, skilled managers, go through lengthy periods of underperformance. Buffett says, use index funds as individual investors. We're likely to be more successful that way unless we have the skills to evaluate businesses. He continued in his 1996 annual letter. Should you choose, however, to construct your own portfolio, there are a few thoughts worth remembering. Intelligent investing is not complex, though that is far from saying that it is easy. What an investor needs is the ability to correctly evaluate selected businesses. Note that word selected. You don't have to be an expert on every company or even many. You only have to be able to evaluate companies within your circle of competence. The size of that circle is not very important. Knowing its boundaries, however, is vital. Your goal as an investor should simply be to purchase at a rational price a part interest in an easily understandable business whose earnings are virtually certain to be materially higher 5, 10, and 20 years from now. Over time, you will find only a few companies that meet those standards. So when you see one that qualifies, you should buy a meaningful amount of stock. You must also resist the temptation to stray from your guidelines. If you aren't willing to own a stock for 10 years, don't even think about owning it for 10 minutes. Put together a portfolio of companies whose aggregate earnings march upward over the years. So also will the portfolio's market value. Except that's still not enough. It isn't enough to have a company whose earnings are growing consistently. Because if your goal is to outperform the market, you have to identify those companies that are mispriced, that the market has underestimated what that earnings growth will be. Because if the company misses its earnings estimates or falls short or something happens that wasn't considered by investors, then that stock will underperform. Now, perhaps if you have a 10-year time horizon, these things can work out, but it is still very, very difficult to do. Buffett has had a hard time doing that. We looked at an episode earlier this year, should you hire Warren Buffett to manage your assets? Berkshire Hathaway has had a hard time outperforming the market over the past decade because they're getting more and more assets, and it's hard to identify companies that are mispriced and will deliver that consistent earnings. Now, suppose you decide that, no, you're not going to hire an investment advisor to pick individual stocks. You're not going to try to pick individual stocks on your own. Maybe you decide to use primarily index funds, maybe some active management. But is it possible to get too much diversification, to become over-diversified? In 2002, finance professor Mir Statman wrote a fascinating paper titled, How Much Diversification is Enough? And he put forth a test to determine whether adding some additional holdings is beneficial or not, or 
is harmful. He writes, the optimal level of diversification is determined by marginal analysis. In other words, that next stock holding. He continues, diversification should be increased as long as its marginal benefits exceed its marginal costs. The benefits of diversification in mean variance portfolio theory, that's another word for modern portfolio theory, the idea that we're trying to minimize our risk as measured by volatility for a given level of return. So he says the benefits of diversification within that framework are in the reduction of risk. Well, the costs are transaction and holding cost. So the benefits is lower volatility, which he points out in a mean variance framework is measured by this standard deviation of portfolio returns. How high are the highs versus how low are the lows? The range of returns. The benefits, reduced risk as measured by that volatility figure, standard deviation. The costs, if you're paying too much in terms of the transaction cost and management fees, versus the marginal benefit of reduced volatility, then you're over-diversified. That's the test. Now, what's not discussed in the paper, but what was suggested by Buffett and the financial advisor, is another cost is lower return. That by adding more holdings, your return will be lower because you haven't put your best ideas in the portfolio. That is true if you're an active manager. But we're not. Most of us are not. We're not building out a portfolio. We're buying index funds, ETFs, perhaps mutual funds. So our test is not will our return be lower by adding an additional holding, an additional ETF. It's will the benefits of lower volatility be offset by higher costs? When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts, high-yield cash accounts where your money can earn 11 times the national average, and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. 
Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Then he goes through sort of a thought experiment where we assume all stocks have the same expected return, which is probably a reasonable assumption. We don't know which stock is going to do the best. So let's assume they all have the same expected return and the same expected volatility as measured by standard deviation. We'll also assume that each pair of stocks has identical expected correlation. They're not perfectly correlated. They don't move in lockstep. But that there is some diversification benefit in that they're not perfectly correlated. And that's sort of the basis of mean variance optimization. The two holdings aren't perfectly correlated. So by adding an additional holding, you can lower the expected volatility for the same level of expected return. So those are our assumptions. Same expected return, same expected volatility for each stock, and each pair has the same correlation. He goes through the math, and what he finds is the expected standard deviation of the portfolio declines when the number of stocks in the portfolio increases. In other words, as you add more and more stocks to the portfolio, hundreds, thousands, it still reduces that standard deviation. It's a continual benefit. Now you have to weigh that against the potential costs. The Vanguard Total World Stock Market ETF, VT, has 8,218 stocks. The expense ratio is 0.09%. The annual turnover is 9%. So about 9% of the holdings are sold and others are bought in their place. It could be the marginal cost of that 9% turnover in terms of the market impact and commission is higher than the marginal benefit with regards to lower volatility. But there's no way we can know that. I don't think it's likely. I think having thousands of holdings does reduce the volatility. It certainly doesn't harm you because we don't know which company will outperform. And what's the alternative? To pay an active manager to pick 30 stocks and the manager will probably underperform? Or 100 stocks, along with the higher fees and turnover? It is possible to be over-diversified. And I saw this as an investment advisor. I'd get a new institutional client, and they might have 10 or 12 active managers in their portfolio. They have some growth, they have some values, some small caps, some large cap. And what you find is one manager would be selling a holding that another was buying. 
So the client's incurring the cost, but not picking up any benefit because the, the holding is still in their portfolio. So it's not that we can't be overly diversified, but generally it takes investing in active managers to do that. If you're buying index funds, and, and it's possible to, to, have, to buy index funds and there's huge overlap between them, but generally speaking, it's difficult if you're using index funds to be overly diversified. Now, let's consider this listener's proposed portfolio. As I mentioned, he's all in Vanguard funds. So 50% Vanguard total stock market index fund. There's 3,600 holdings there. That's all U.S. 15% in the Vanguard total international stock funds. There's 7,500 holdings there. 25% in the Vanguard total bond market index fund and 10% in real estate index fund. Now he's considering putting half in the T. Rowe Price small cap value fund. 292 holdings. Expense ratio is 0.85%. 25% in the Dodge and Cox large cap value fund. 65 holdings. Expense ratio is 0.52%. And then 25% in the Vanguard Wellington fund, which has roughly 50 to 70% stocks and the expense ratio is 0.25%. So there's still going to be hundreds of holdings. There's 91 stocks in the Vanguard Wellington fund. There's 300 in the T. Rowe Price and there's 65 in the Dodge and Cox fund. So there's hundreds of holdings. He's diversified. So the portfolio performance is not going to be driven by the individual stocks that he owns. Instead, it's going to be driven by the asset allocation and the factor exposure. His portfolio is going from 75% stocks and REITs and 25% bonds to 91% stocks and 9% bonds. So the asset allocation is completely different. That's going to impact returns. He's also reducing the amount in non-U.S., Currently, 23% of his allocation is non-U.S. stocks compared to 45% for the global stock market. He's underweight non-U.S. stocks versus the global market portfolio. His proposed portfolio only has 3.3% in non-U.S. stocks, again, versus 45% for the global stock market. That's a huge change. So more stock exposure a much lower international stock exposure, and he's adding a large value tilt. Value is a factor. Factors are persistent drivers of returns. We've talked about the momentum factor in episode 266. We discussed the value factor in episode 261. As individual investors, it's important to have some factor exposure. I mean, that, that's what we should be spending our time on. If we can own the market as a whole, own something like VT, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index ETF, or we could add factors, tilts away from that, value, momentum. Perhaps we'll use fundamental indexing, a topic that I've also talked about. A Plus member sent me a fascinating paper called Global Factor Premiums. It was by Guido Baltusen, Lauren Swinkles, and Pim Van Liet. And they went back 200 years 
and looked at different factors. What they were trying to do is they looked at studies that were published in the last decade or so that showed different factors that had outperformed. And one of the things that they point out is there's a finance professors they want to publish. There can be biases that get into these studies. Perhaps the time frame wasn't as long. But there's an inclination to show factors that are working. But there could be reasons that they're working based on just how the data that was selected. So they wanted to go back 200 years and raise the threshold to be able to say this factor works. They looked at a number of factors. And what they found is most factors worked. Momentum worked. 85% of the 10-year periods going back to the year 1800, momentum had a positive sharp ratio. A sharp ratio is a statistical measure that they often use to show whether there was positive returns after adjusting for risk. And it's measured by taking the return minus the risk-free rate and dividing it by the volatility of the particular asset that they're considering. This study over 200-year periods showed that most of the factors, as I mentioned, 85% of the 10-year periods, momentum within stocks had a positive sharp ratio. Value worked 75% of the 10-year periods. Trend, something that we focus on on Money for the Rest of Us Plus. The idea that a upwardly biased market continues, that the trend continues. Trend worked 98% of the 10-year periods for stocks. They looked at seasonality, the fact that there's certain months of the year when stocks do better. And they constructed a portfolio based on that, and it had a positive sharp ratio, 90% of the 10-year periods. For example, generally speaking, November, December are one of the strongest months for the year in terms of the U.S. and global stock markets. Two other factors that we've not spent a lot of time on. One is carry. There's a book coming out early next year called The Rise of Carry that I'm actually reading a advanced copy. It's by Tim Lee, Jamie Lee, and Kevin Coldiron. And their definition of carry, I like. They say it's an income stream when nothing happens. You get paid, and as long as nothing happens, you'll continue to get paid. If there's a change, then you can suffer some big losses. An example they give is borrowing in a low interest rate currency and then investing in a currency where you can get a higher interest rate. So maybe you borrow in Japanese yen and then invest in U.S. treasuries. You are in that carry, that income stream. Works out great unless the U.S. dollar weakens relative to the Japanese yen and then you could lose money. Carry worked 95% of the time on a rolling 10-year basis in terms of a positive sharp ratio for stocks. Now, they looked at this for stocks, bonds, commodities, foreign exchange, and multiple asset classes. And finally, they looked at a factor known as betting against beta. And by beta, we're talking about the volatility relative to a particular benchmark. So a high beta stock is something that's more volatile than a benchmark, a low beta Stock is one that's less volatile than a benchmark. And so you would go long the low beta stocks and short the high beta stocks. Now, that also had a positive sharp ratio. The challenge is in implementing it and the cost of doing so. 
But the point is, these factors work. They're persistent drivers of return. This particular listener that's thinking about adding some value to his portfolio, I think that's fine. All three of those funds are well-regarded funds. Now, they have higher expense ratios, but you could also add value simply by adding a value factor ETF or a fundamental indexing ETF. But there's times where active manager value does even better. But the point is, don't throw out your entire Vanguard portfolio. Just layer on some additional value factor. And that's some of what we do on Money for the Rest of Us Plus. There's a, we have VT in the model portfolios, but there's some additional factors in terms of fundamental indexing and value ETFs in those models because we want to take advantage of that value factor, which, as I mentioned in episode 261, has underperformed growth in the overall market for 12 years running. Can you be over-diversified? It's possible if you use a lot of active management and you have funds that own the same stocks. But if you're using passive index funds and ETFs, you're not going to be over-diversified. What you should focus on is not buying individual stocks because most of us don't have skill to do that. If you want to do something besides own the overall market, then perhaps add some of these additional factors to your portfolio and holdings that replicate those, be it value or momentum or perhaps some of the other ones that we discussed in this episode. That is episode 275. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide. I'll email you those links to, for example, the academic articles that I reference in this episode. You don't have to go back to the website. You'll just have that in your email along with an essay I do each week on money investing in the economy. Just goes to that email list, not available on the public web. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this, in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.